0: following program does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff or management of WFMD.
1: It's Success Happens on 930 WFMD, blending business and politics. Success Happens with your host, Jen Charlton. Good morning and welcome to Success Happens. This is Jen, and it is another wonderful day to be with you. Although I want to say that the subject we're going to cover is pretty shocking. I am amazed that Maryland could have gone to such lengths and frankly fall into such depths that we would be dealing with whether it's okay to take a life after birth. I mean, it's just so shocking that we have devolved to such a point that we would even consider such horrific acts as legal. Heritage Foundation reached out to me and said, would you like to have somebody who's an expert on the subject come in and talk about the right to life and this protection of reproductive rights for the baby? You know, because the baby has no say in the matter. The baby is the innocent victim. And I will say, true confessions, I didn't always feel this strongly about this. But as I've gotten older, and I frankly matured in my thinking and my faith, I became committed to protecting life. It's really great to have with us this morning Melanie Israel, who is from the Heritage Foundation, and I consider them my partners in giving information to our listeners and the general public that I think is important. So really, a shout out to the Heritage Foundation. For more information, you can go to heritage.org, and please consider donating to them because they are well worth your investment in information that makes a difference. So good morning, Melanie, and welcome to Success Happens. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Good morning. And so, Melanie, I guess first tell us, please, your background and why this issue is important to you.
2: Sure, sure. So I have been at the Heritage Foundation for Goodness, going on six years now, and before that, I had worked on Capitol Hill. I had worked in the Senate Judiciary Committee, and when I was growing up, I certainly considered myself to be pro-life, but it, it wasn't something that I spent a whole lot of time thinking about. It wasn't a priority to me. And it was getting to Capitol Hill and seeing how radical the proposals were coming from the Democrats is really something that helped, um, I, I, I guess, snap me out of it and realize, wow, this is so important. I have to be doing more to push back against this extremism. Um, it, it was very eye-opening. And so that prompted me to, to start doing more during my time on Capitol Hill, working on the pro-life issue, as well as conscience rights and religious liberty, because obviously all of those things so often intersect. And so it's a, a privilege to be able to work on those issues full-time at the Heritage Foundation now. And so I do a lot of writing and research. and helping both the general public and our audiences on Capitol Hill, policymakers, their staff, understand these issues and why they're so important?
1: You know, I I often have said in the past, and when I ran for office, I said, you know, federal issues are local issues. So often we think that what happens on Capitol Hill isn't really, you know, pertinent to state or local, and yet when you talk about the right to life, you literally bring it home. It's amazing to me that legislators are so removed or so disconnected from the people in some cases. I know that in Maryland, we have some uber-progressive liberals who are trying to run the show, and frankly, so far, they're getting away with it. It's amazing to me in Maryland that we have, frankly, allowed the progressive left, thinking that we're going to go along to get along, we want to look compassionate, we want to look humanitarian, and in the process of them making us feel like we're not that, we have given up the farm in terms of rights and responsibilities for individuals, including the unborn. So, while the progressive left has taken over Annapolis, by the way, under the leadership of Hogan, this happened in his term of office two terms. We've gotten to this drastic point. I think people need to take a note of that. It's not an accident. So Under Hogan, here we are looking at two bills in Annapolis that literally abort human rights. You know, I think it's important for us to start dealing with what's in reality going on here and being willing to go after this progressive left and say, you do not have the right to take away our human rights, our conscience, our religious values, you do not get to eviscerate those things so that you can um, forward some, I don't know, to me it's an evil agenda, but I know that's my interpretation and my opinion. And, you know, I don't think all Democrats, frankly, feel this way. I know a lot of Democrats who are pro-life. So it's just not a party issue. Once again, we're in a battle between good and evil. This is not about parties. But it is about doing the right thing and protecting life and responsibilities uh, for people to, to choose powerfully what they want for their life. and and what they align with spiritually. So all that being said, I'll climb off my high horse. And Melanie, why don't you uh, talk a little bit about what you see from your perspective is happening first nationally, and then we'll dig down into Maryland
2: sure so nationally and honestly at the state levels as well the the pro life policy landscape is really more dynamic than ever and it all has to do with this looming decision at the supreme court the case is called dobbs versus jackson women's health organization and it is the best shot that we've had in many decades to potentially overturn Roe v.ersus Wade, which of course created a right to abortion out of thin air um, in our Constitution. And so this is an opportunity for the Supreme Court to correct a very grave constitutional error. And so if the court rules in favor of the state of Mississippi who's bringing the case, they would be saying that a Mississippi law that prohibits abortion after 15 weeks gestation would be allowed to stand. Um, the The longer answer is that this would mean that states could enact policies that protect children before the stage of viability, which is something that they have not been able to do for the last half century. So it would really be a monumental shift in the extent that states can go to protect innocent, unborn life. So obviously there's a lot of excitement on the pro-life side, um, and, and rightfully so, but that also means there's a lot of pushback coming from the radical pro-abortion side. And so we are seeing states like Maryland, like California, like Congress, which is currently under control of Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And of course, we have the Biden administration. They have been pushing very radical and extreme pro-abortion policies. And so we're going to be seeing a lot of that tension and back and forth here over the next couple months leading up to this potentially monumental Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. So there's
1: a lot to unpack there. First of all, I want to point to The similarity between Maryland and California right now, run by a, quote, Republican governor, we are very aligned, very similar to California policies, and frankly, Hogan to Newsom. So that's just an interesting point of fact. But when you look at the technology today, what we know now versus what they knew During the Roe v. Wade era,
2: we know so much more about life, don't we? Absolutely. And thankfully, there were many, many medical professionals weighing in and filing amicus briefs to the Supreme Court, laying out exactly that, how much more we know, even when you just think about an ultrasound image in 1973, compared to what we are able to see now, there's there's no comparison. Today, we literally have a window into the womb and we can see the humanity of unborn children from the very earliest stages. Um, and, And that's just something that simply was not the case in 1973. We've also had science and technology advance when it comes to being able to care for children when they're still in the womb. Even in the last decade, there's been an explosion of possibilities of surgeries that doctors are able to perform on children when they are still in the womb and not yet um, old enough to to be born. They're able to address things like spina bifida and twin-to-twin twin syndrome and all of these new technologies that have been coming out truly in the last couple of years even. It it really demonstrates that the basis of the Supreme Court making this decision is so out of date with respect to science and, and technology. It, it really can't be justified. It, it couldn't be justified then. It certainly can't be justified now. And so overturning Roe would mean that states, that policymakers, that the American people would finally have the opportunity to have our laws align with science, with what we know about the humanity of unborn children. Well, that's a great place to take a quick break.
1: And I just thank you so much for your dedication and work on this issue. There was a friend of mine years ago, and we were three of us sitting around a table. And and the one guy says, well, you know, people should just have an abortion if they can't sustain the child or, you know, they don't have the money or whatever the reason was. And the third person said, yeah, but then I wouldn't be here. Just food for thought. We're going to take a quick break. This is Success Happens on Free Talk 930 WFMD. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Success Happens. This is Jen and I have with me today Melanie Israel, who is a policy analyst with Heritage Foundation and an expert in the issues around abortion, pro-life, and the legislation that is being pushed at all levels right now to deal with this very important issue. Clarence Thomas has been under attack lately. And when you talk about the Supreme Court, and God bless Clarence Thomas, that man was under attack when he came in, and apparently he's gonna be under attack till he goes out. But what a hero. And I hope that he will stand his ground and that the people will pray for Clarence Thomas to maintain his power and authority in such an important position. Uh, Throughout all this, there is no accidente, as they say, that they're going after him while this issue is before the Supreme Court.
2: You know, I think it's really unfortunate that this issue of abortion, um, just generally speaking, is something that we see the left go absolutely apocalyptic over no matter what the context is, Um, Right now, the, um, you know, scandal of the day, if you consider it to be a scandal, would be Justice Thomas. Um, if it's not Justice Thomas, it's Justice Kavanaugh. If it's not Justice Kavanaugh, it's Justice Barrett. There, there's always, um, you know, some sort of reason for the left to go apocalyptic about abortion, Um, We see this play out time and time again with Supreme Court confirmation hearings. Um, You don't have people dressed up like handmaids roaming the streets of Washington, D.C. because they're upset about some of these other policy issues. It always comes back to abortion. Um, And, you know, just as a a general observation, I, I don't know exactly what it is that gets the other side so fired up about having the right to intentionally destroy an innocent human life. But from having been outside during various rallies and and seeing this all play out, there's, there's so much anger, but there's also a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. Women who have been lied to and coerced for many, many years being told that they need abortion in order to succeed in society and so there's going to be a lot to continue unpacking in the weeks and months to come and i think unfortunately justice thomas is where some of that ire is directed right now Um, but it's not him it's going to be somebody else in the coming weeks let's talk about maryland
1: Tell us about the laws that are uh, being considered in the legislature. Can you give us an overview so the listeners understand? And I want to preface this by saying, everybody, plan to get in action. If you need to take some notes right now, pull out a piece of paper and pen, because you're going to want to reach out to your delegates and your senators in Annapolis to take this apart piece by piece, syllable by syllable
2: all right so there was one bill that i know made lots and lots of headlines that had to do with um, potentially allowing people to not care for a newborn baby after they're born that bill was called the pregnant person's freedom act it appears that that bill is dead it did not meet some of the requirements as we're leading into the final weeks of the legislative session the fact that it was filed in the first place speaks volumes. And I think really demonstrates that we can't just say, okay, victory, we're done this is something that could be filed again in a future legislative session. There was so much outcry about it, and rightly so, um, but that doesn't mean that this bill is dead forever. Um, the the bills that kind of are more of a live ball right now for purposes of this legislative session, which is going to conclude in the second week of April, um, are two bills. One of those is the bill that would put on the ballot in november a motion to enshrine an unfettered right to abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy in the maryland constitution
1: the right to reproductive liberty amendment
2: i know that some folks are probably thinking well wait a minute that's already the law in maryland why would we bother to add that in the constitution too and it's a good question Um, Since the early 1990s, Maryland has protected an unfettered right to abortion through all nine months of pregnancy, but enshrining that in the state constitution would mean that we would have an even greater barrier to enacting any kind of pro-life policy in the future It's interesting when we're looking at this bill and its prospects in the legislature, there's been some indication from Democratic leadership that this bill to put this motion on the ballot in November is not going to be moving forward. It did have a hearing in a Senate committee this week. There was overwhelming testimony against it. We don't know if this bill is ultimately going to go through the legislature. There, there's been some indication that they might be backing down and deciding not to move forward with it. So people are going to have to, again, remain vigilant. It's still very much a live ball until the legislature concludes and everybody goes home. The second bill is the
1: Abortion Care Access Act. It would appropriate $3.5 million annually for an abortion training program that would focus on training and continuing education to increase the number of abortion providers in Maryland. It would remove the requirement that only physicians perform abortions. Now that's pretty shocking. And it would require further subsidies or coverage for elective abortion in insurance plans and other state benefit programs. Lastly, it would gut Maryland's parental notification requirement for minors getting an abortion, essentially making the provision useless. I don't know about listeners and how you feel about this, and I have a son, but if I had a daughter, I would want to know. The fact that they can bypass parental oversight of our children is further socialist, communist behavior, and it must stop, and it must stop right now forever. Everyone, this is not about left and right, progressive, you know, conservative. This is about the state of our nation, the state of our state, in our ability to protect ourselves and our families as God would have us do. And that's not up to those legislators to make that decision. But here's the fix. You all have to make sure the right people get voted in 2022 into Annapolis because we've lost our hold on Annapolis and the conscience of the people. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Sweeties on the Creek. We're scooping now. Dianovich and Associates, a great security company, and Flamingo Pool Supply. And we'll be right back.
0: The program does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff or management of WFMD. Free Talk, 930 WFMD.
1: Welcome back to Success Happens. This is Jen, and I have with me today Melanie Israel, who's with the Heritage Foundation, and she is an expert on right-to-life issues. And we were talking before the break about the different bills in consideration in Annapolis. So I'd like to clarify. There's one that's called the Right to Reproductive Liberty Amendment, which, which would actually amend the state's constitution. As Melanie said, that is a almost a forever thing. If that gets through the state's constitution, uh, many, many of us will be unable to rectify the situation later if we need to or want to. So we want to make sure that it does not get put into the Constitution. Number one, the right to reproductive liberty amendment. Got to stop that. The second one we started talking about is the Abortion Care Access Act. So could you please talk about the Abortion Care Access Act, Melanie, and how that broadly impacts people, not only the young ladies who would be looking at that decision, but also the people who would be providing her care.
2: Absolutely. So the Abortion Care Access Act is really a catch-all bill that's meant to mean that in Maryland, we are having as many abortions as possible funded by the taxpayers. Um, And and there's a reason that they're wanting to push this bill forward. Now, as you had mentioned, one of the things it would do is that it would appropriate $3.5 million per year for an abortion training program um, to increase the number of abortion providers in Maryland. Now, why would they want to be doing that? Well, it's because many states, others like California, New York, they are planning to become abortion destination states if Roe is overturned. And presumably other states throughout the country would pass more pro-life laws and there would not be lots of abortions happening in those states states like Maryland and California are trying to position themselves to become those abortion destinations and so that's why they want to spend three and a half million dollars per year of your taxpayer dollars to train more people to perform abortions and you take this alongside one of the other requirements in this bill. Um, right now in Maryland, you have to be a physician to be performing an abortion. They want to lower that requirement so that um, midwives and other healthcare professionals could do abortions too. This is once again geared at expanding the number of abortions that are happening in Maryland. Um, One thing I think is important to note is that when we talk about abortion procedures, oftentimes people's mind immediately goes towards thinking of that as a surgical procedure. But really what we've seen in the last decade especially is that most abortions are actually being done by a woman taking a pill and going home and undergoing that abortion in her house in her bathroom alone without any kind of medical supervision um roughly 55 percent of abortions are done by a woman taking a pill today and so that's another thing that that requirement is geared towards they don't want just physicians to be prescribing these pills to women they want other healthcare practitioners like midwives to be able to be prescribing these pills as well. So this abortion care access act is totally totally geared towards helping Maryland become a destination abortion state paid for by the taxpayers. It it's so shocking.
1: I mean, I'm actually stunned by the notion that Maryland would become a destination Instead of the Ocean City or crabs in Annapolis and out on the dock or taking your boat out on the bay, will be known for the place to come and get an abortion. I mean, it's just disgusting. And, you know, I, there's a couple of things. I get to say because I don't care what people think anymore, that's legalizing murder. I mean, there's just no way around it. I mean, you can sugarcoat it and you can call an abortion or, you know, the right to terminate an invalid, you know, life or, you know, it's not viable or what, however you want to characterize it, right? That That society has made it less painful to kind of process that what you're doing is ending life. And I know, having done a lot of human services work, and I've worked in and around adult services and people, vulnerable populations who are born with uh, sometimes devastating disabilities, okay? If you ask any of those people and their parents, if their life is any less viable than another life, some of the issues around abortion relate to is the child going to be you know able to contribute to society in a way that would be expected or something you know there's some societal kind of view about that. but at some point you know, those, those, those parents don't feel any less committed to that life and that child and that adult as they grow. So I think that there's some real grappling with this disconnect, that people experience as a young person or somebody who's pregnant and faced with that life altering reality, whether you're married or you're not, your life just changed because you're pregnant. Right. And so this thought that it doesn't, I can, I can end it before it's viable somehow lets me off the hook or something for it being not legalizing murder. Does that make sense?
2: Right. You know, I I think this is something that so many people grapple with. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the the pro-life position is that from day one, from the very, very beginning, every single human person has inherent dignity and our value as, as humans, our humanity does not depend on the circumstances of our conception, the, the circumstances that we would be born into and whatever types of abilities or disabilities that we might have. And so there, there's a lot of progress being made in a number of states across the country, but as we're seeing right now in Maryland, the pro-life movement is going to be playing defense in a lot of places going forward, regardless of what the Supreme Court does this summer. And one of the ways that we can really, really push back um, and promote a culture of life is by supporting the thousands of community-based organizations that are supporting women and families and unborn children. There's roughly 3,000 pregnancy resource centers, for example, all across the country. There's many right here in the state of Maryland. And so, you know, we'll we'll see how everything shakes out in the state legislature. But I I hope everybody can feel encouraged knowing that regardless of what's happening with policymakers, every single one of us has a role to play in promoting a culture of life. And maybe that means Googling what is my local pregnancy resource center? Call them up, find out how you can help. Maybe you can stuff envelopes on the weekend. Maybe you can help answer the phone. Maybe you can purchase diapers or, or car seats or offer your services to, to volunteer. Um, these are all things that have an enormous impact on the lives of people who are struggling and need help. And so I I encourage people to um, stay alert with what's happening Okay, States. before you go there, I wanna I wanna
1: piggyback on what you just said, Melanie. There's an organization, everyone, called Carinet. It's a great organization in Frederick, Maryland. They also have locations in Leonardtown, Lexington Park. Carronet is a pregnancy resource center. They are pro-life. They are there to support women who are faced with that new reality and to empower them through it. So I recommend you reach out to Karenette in Frederick and see how you can help them. Okay, so let's go back to a couple things I think that are important. First of all, do you have any data about women who have been faced with uh, pregnancy decisions? What do you know about those women? Like if they had been given more information like uh, uh, Karenette organization that could support them through this decision and this uh, circumstance, would their decision change? What does the data tell us about information and, and support altering the outcome?
2: Yes. So what we know, particularly from pregnancy resource centers who are talking to these women, is that that abortion decision overwhelmingly has to do with a woman's financial circumstances and her being concerned that she cannot take care of her child. Um, For a lot of women, they already have children at home. Um, We also know that having an unsupportive partner is a huge factor. Um, And that, of course, raises concerns, too, about coercion. How many women are being coerced into getting an abortion when that's not really what they want um, so you know knowing that for so many women it's a financial concern how am I going to take care of my baby that's why these pregnancy resource centers are so important because they can come alongside a woman and say you're not going to be alone and here's all of the things that we can offer to you. And there are many pregnancy centers that can also do things like helping a woman refine her resume, do job interviews, get her plugged in with resources that are available to her through different state and local welfare programs and walking alongside these women to show them, you can do it. There are resources available to you and we will help you.
1: How much is um, shame, embarrassment, maybe somebody single, you know, dealing with family not approving or whatever? How much does that play a part?
2: It definitely plays a part, but I think we've definitely seen a shift, um, culturally speaking. I think... um, of course, back in the, the 1970s when Roe was going through, um, being a pregnant and unwed mother had a very different um, stigma attached to it than it does today. And so I think there have definitely been some, some cultural shifts there. But what we really know from... The, the data that's out there of talking to women about what's prompting that abortion decision, it is overwhelmingly those, those kinds of financial and relationship concerns. I wanna take a quick break and then let's
1: come back and we'll wrap up the show. And I just really appreciate, once again, the Heritage Foundation and the important work that you do on all the different issues that we face as a society. I really wanna empower the listeners right now On this break, go find out who is your delegate, who are your – there may be multiple delegates, who is your senator, who are you going to reach out to by email, by phone call. Let them know this is absolutely outrageous and not okay. We, the people, must stand up and voice our positions on this because they are supposed to work for us. And they should not be making those decisions irrespective of our concerns. And I don't believe that Marylanders are about ending life. I believe we're about empowering life. We'll take a quick break right now. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Sweeties on the Creek, we're scooping now, Dianovich and Associates, a great security company, and Flamingo Pool Supplies. We'll be right back welcome back to success happens this is jen and i have with me today melanie israel and we're talking about a very important issue that's facing marylanders and families and frankly medical providers who are not particularly aligned with what's going on in this legislature about ending life you know we've been facing with everything from Ending a life after birth? I mean, what the heck are people thinking about? It's to the point where we as a, as a community, one, we have to embrace people who find themselves in that situation, be compassionate and help them through it, right? But I, I think there's something else to deal with. It's, it's a hard conversation I'm going to have right now, and some people may not appreciate it. There's a movement afoot where there's a real concern that people are placing population control as more important than life itself, more important than faith itself, more important than family itself. And I always believe God has a plan. Not always my plan, but God's got a plan. And I got to roll with it because I can't see what he sees. So, you know, when we look at this notion of abortion, it's a very effective population control. And that's a tough pill to swallow but we need to be dealing with reality right now because there are some people that place that as more important than honoring life and there's a lot of money to be made in medical we've seen it through covid and we're seeing it now that if this expansion of abortion practices is allowed there are going to be a lot of people making money on this and it's disgusting we have to have the conversation about the business side of medicine that may be behind this. Because sometimes people are greedy and they put their money above your interests, concerns, and the right to life. The right to life for that little baby who doesn't have a voice. So we have to be that voice in Annapolis. And everyone listening, I want you to call 10 people you know and tell them to call 10 people they know and tell them to contact the legislators in Annapolis. They need to hear us loud and clear. Okay, Melanie, to wrap up, um, what do you want to say, and just to kind of encapsulate this, you know, what else do you suggest we do to stop the madness?
2: You know, I, I think it really just requires people to continue being engaged. I know that in some respects, we know that Maryland is already so, so radical and permissive when it comes to abortion policy. And there might be this kind of gut reaction to think, well, they can't possibly get even more radical. They've done everything they can. And that's simply not true. There are always going to be new threats coming around the pipeline and right now the abortion lobby is preparing for a post row world and they're preparing to make maryland an abortion destination state and so that means that we're going to have to step up our support to the pregnancy resource centers to the churches to all of the local community-based organizations that are out there trying to help people. Um, Again, we can't always control exactly what's happening with our lawmakers, but we can control what's happening in our own backyards. And so, again, as you said, there are these local pregnancy resource centers that need your help. And so I encourage people to, to look at what you can be doing in your community to promote that culture of life, because there are women and unborn children out there today, right now, who need our help.
1: Beautiful. And I'll continue to ask everyone here to be proactive in contacting your legislators, because there's one thing I always say, and you've heard me say it many times, what is the politician most concerned about? Their next gig. So you gotta let them know if they intend to be reelected, they need to start listening to you, the people, and your concerns about this idea of ending life on a whim. So thank you, Melanie, very much for all the work you're doing. Everybody, please support the Heritage Foundation. Go to heritage.org to make a donation and support the important work that they're doing. Next week, we're going to focus on the energy business and what's going on and uh, some of the work that's happening federally or not happening federally. So stay tuned. Listen to us next Saturday morning at 9 a.m. right here on Free Talk 930 WFMD. Be sure to share this podcast with everyone. Okay, everybody. Uh, That was a great interview. And I have one more comment. There's, uh, I had an opportunity to reach out to Karenette and Dr. Sandy Christensen gave me a few minutes of her time. She's not only the medical director for the local Karenette here in Frederick, but she is also their national medical director. Take a listen. So I was able to reach Dr. Sandy Christensen and I've invited her to be with us and give us a few words. Now, Sandy was in Annapolis Testify. Welcome, Dr. Christensen, to Success Happens. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for having me. Could you speak about your experience in Annapolis?
0: Well, Jennifer, I had two opportunities during this legislative session to testify, and one was earlier via um, a virtual oral testimony into the um, House. And that was um, in opposition to HB 937, the Abortion Care Access Act. That's a bill that promises to add $3.5 million annually to the Maryland budget for the purpose of training abortion providers and also changing from physician only to perform abortions to others and being rather vague in that. So this is a, a horrific bill. I did have the opportunity to testify before the Maryland Senate in opposition to House Bill 1171, and that was on March 30th. And this is a bill that is a constitutional amendment that would forever codify abortion into uh, Maryland's constitution, and it would prevent further pro-life legislative challenges, and it would really quash any future measures to try to place any restrictions or anything on in terms of access to abortion in
1: our state. That's shocking in and of itself, because look at what we've learned since Roe v. Wade about the body, the baby's development, about the life of the child from conception. So to think that we know everything now and to assume that there is nothing more to learn is pretty absurd, isn't it? It's absurd in the extreme, Jennifer,
0: and and it's also, frankly, um, malpractice. In light of the changes that the Food and Drug Administration made just in December 2021, really opening the door to telemed abortions for the abortion pill, uh, others call it, medication, drug-induced chemical abortion, et cetera, just allowing virtually uh, almost no medical oversight to that. That drug combination of mifepristone and mesoprostone now accounts for 54% of all abortions, according to Guttmacher statistics, which used to be the research arm for Planned Parenthood. So when you look at that and you consider the harms that have happened to women who've taken these drugs, only magnified now under, under less- medical supervision, not more. No physician um, visits required, no ultrasound required, and so on. Um, According to the women's policy research, 81% of women in the state of Maryland live in counties with an abortion provider. This is not a a pro-life organization um, making these statistics. Maryland ranks third in the nation for abortion
1: access. So in other words, what is it they're trying to fix? I mean, there's not a problem in trying to get access. Well, and and not to mention that,
0: you know, if you poll physicians, obstetrician, gynecologists, the majority, and I mean 80 percent, are not in favor of abortion on demand and do not perform abortions. And there's reasons for that. And and many of them are are health risks, and some of them are personal convictions or faith-based reasons. There's a variety. And, And to ignore and fly in the face of what physicians will or won't do. And so now that's not enough. We've got to do an end run and get other people involved other than physicians because
1: the physicians aren't aren't doing them. I had one child and when I saw the ultrasound, it was real for me. I mean, it was, it was real for me the moment I said, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. And I had done the test, but, but it really, you connect with that life inside you when you see the ultrasound the FDA changes to the label, the mifepristone label,
0: um, have taken away the in-person requirement. And, and so really what that means is uh, the woman who contacts online in a sort of abortion clinic will be interviewed after some fashion. And I've looked at a number of these sites. Um, some of these may be video interviews, they may be phone, they may be a text or an email. As a physician, evaluating somebody, before a procedure that can cause life-threatening hemorrhage and life-threatening infections, the possible need for surgery, to do that via a text message is, is malpractice. And so, you know, the, the no in-person requirement means that it'll be up to the abortion provider to determine whether or not an ultrasound needs to be ordered. And so that is going to hinge on what the woman chooses to disclose. She may just be desperate for the pill, so she may not indicate that she has irregular she's not sure of her lmp she may indicate that she's got certain factors that may put her at risk for ectopic that she doesn't disclose or even if she does who's to say that the the ultrasound will be ordered it's optional and so the idea that you could miss maybe twins so maybe she has regular periods and no risk factors for ectopic what if she's got twins well her uterus is much larger the risk of hemorrhage much greater and so on and what about the woman who Um, has a positive test, knows her LMP, doesn't have any pain or bleeding. She doesn't get an ultrasound ordered. But if they had done an ultrasound, they would have seen a non-viable pregnancy. So that woman will live the rest of her life believing that she aborted a living child with all of the emotional and possible psychological fallout. So there's just so many ways that this is wrong and not what's in women's best interest. Not to mention the loss of life for the child.
1: That was Dr. Sandy Christensen, and I really thank Karenet of Frederick and, and other organizations affiliated with Carinet across the country for the important work that they're doing. And it's an it's an opportunity right now to really stand up for the children, the voices that cannot be heard. So I encourage everybody listening once again to get in action and also to support Karenette Frederick or your local uh, family resource center that's providing these resources and viable alternatives for young women and young families. And men are involved in this decision, too, you know, or they should be. So... Um, At this point, you know, there's an opportunity to make that difference. So I thank everybody for engaging in this conversation. I know it's not an easy topic to talk about, but it is an important one. Listen, next uh, Saturday morning, 9 a.m., we're going to have a great show. I'm hoping to have, as I mentioned, a conversation about the energy industry and what's going on right now in energy policy and how it's affecting each of you every day. God bless you. Have a great week. And listen, send this podcast out to your friends and family so that they can help us make a difference in Annapolis. Have a great week.